Well, good evening, everyone. Blessing to gather together tonight and to uh, look at what the Bible says about the rapture of the church. If you have your Bibles, if you would, turn to the book of 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. Chapter 5, I want to read the first 10 verses of 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. I always think of Larry the Cucumber in, in uh, VeggieTales. Thessalonians! <laughs> I don't know why. Thessalonians. If anybody needed a Bible, Stu had a bunch in his hand. I forgot to say that, Stuart. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> All right. Starting in verse 1, Paul writes, But concerning the times and the seasons, brethren, you have no need that I should write to you. For you yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord so comes as a thief in the night. For when they say peace and safety, then sudden destruction comes upon them as labor pains upon a pregnant woman. And they shall not escape. But you, brethren are not in darkness, so that this day should overtake you as a thief. You are all sons of light and sons of the day. We are not of the night nor of darkness. Therefore, let us not sleep as, 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 as others do, but let us watch and be sober. For those who sleep, sleep at night, and those who get drunk are drunk at night. But let us who are of the day be sober, putting on the breastplate of faith and love, and as a helmet, the hope of salvation." For God did not appoint us to wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, that whether we wake or sleep, we should live together with him. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this time tonight, Lord, that we have the opportunity to open your word and to know, Lord, that you are going to speak to our hearts about the things concerning your return to this earth. We recognize, Lord, that it's very, very near. And Lord, we want to be ready, Lord, but we also want to be knowledgeable of your word and and what this entails and, and when you'll be here and, and what's going on at the time of your return. And so, Lord, uh, just give us understanding, we pray, as we dig into your word. We thank you for this time. Uh, Lord, if there's anyone that has joined us that doesn't have that relationship with you, they're not secure in their salvation, that they know that they know that uh, you, they belong to you. Lord, I pray that they would make that commitment this evening. Thank you for this time tonight, Lord. We commit it to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So when will the rapture of the church take place? Right now. Right now. I try it all the time, but you know, Paul says in, in verse 1 in 1 Thessalonians 5, But concerning the times and the seasons, brethren, you have no need that I should write to you, for you yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord so comes as a thief in the night. I shared last week, back in the 70s, way before all the Left Behind books and movies came out, there's a movie, I think you could still get a copy of it, called A Thief in the Night. And it's a story about, about a young girl that misses out on the rapture, and it's a crack up to watch because all the clothes that they're wearing in that movie in the 70s, they've come around and they're still wearing them today, you know. But I remember seeing it for the first time, and, and I know I've shared this story before, but it's funny, to, it, you know, make the point. The following day after I saw the movie... I was in my bedroom and, and had been talking to my wife, Lisa, and I wanted to get a glass of water. And when I came back to the room, she was gone. And, and for, you know, you know my wife, she's in a wheelchair. It's not very easy to, to disappear when you're in a wheelchair. And, and so the chair is sitting there. She's not there. And I'm looking around. I don't see her. And I thought, 
did I miss the rapture? Come to find out, she hopped out of her chair and was hiding under the table where I couldn't see her in the room. So I put a wheelchair outside in the back and said, no, I didn't do that. I didn't do that. I'd be in trouble if I did that. But you know, there have been many people who for some reason or another think that they can predict the day that the rapture is going to take place, the time exactly when it's going to happen. Back in 1979 when I first came to the Lord, a lot of people saying the Lord's going to come back in 1981. They had good arguments, good reasons why they thought the Lord could come back in 1981. Well, 1981 came and passed, and then 1982, and 1983, and 1984, and all of a sudden we got to 1988, and now 1988. Guy wrote a book, 88 Reasons Why Christ is Coming Back in 1988. 1988 turned eight, 1989, 1990. Well, then we thought, Y2K. Jesus is going to come back before Y2K. That's it, and man, everybody was the year 2000, then well, then you had a guy named Harold Camping. Oh, May 22nd, 2011, Jesus is coming back. May 12th, 2011, Jesus didn't come back. Then he moved it. October 21st, 2011, I was off. That, that's when it's getting, okay, that didn't happen. Now, thankfully, you know, Camping humbly acknowledged that he had been mistaken, and, you know, that his attempt to predict the date was sinful, and since then he's gone home to be with the Lord, and so he doesn't have to make dates anymore like that, but... You know, you go online, type in, when will the rapture of the church take place? And, oh, man, you got, you got the nuts that are out there, okay? I, I, you, you just do. I mean, it is like, you know, I, I was reading one. The rapture of the church will take place before 2018. These are all the reasons, all the signs the rapture of the church will take place by November 22nd. I, I read this yesterday. I'm thinking, you missed it. You missed it. You might want to pull it off the Internet, you know, something like that. And, and uh yeah, and there's a big push right now that says Jesus is going to return before Christmas. Personally, I think that would be great. got no problem with that. But the problem I have with all that is what Jesus said in Matthew 24, 36. But of that day and hour, no one knows, not even the angels of heaven, but my Father only. No man knows the day or the hour. Now, another translation of that means no man knows the day or the hour. Another version of it, no man knows the day or the hour. You get the point. We shouldn't be all hung up on date setting. But Paul does say in verse 1 here, concerning the times and the seasons, brethren, you have no need that I should write to you. Now, it doesn't take a rocket scientist to get an idea of what the weather is going to be like for the day when you look out your window. You know, in the morning, you see rain clouds, it's going to rain today. You walk out and it's 15 degrees ago, I think, I think winter's here, okay? It's cold out. And at the same way as we look around, we see, can see the signs and the things that are happening to the point, that point to the fact that Jesus could return at any moment. Paul is saying that he doesn't need to tell them. They can tell for themselves. Listen, Jesus told us what type of things would be happening to let us know when his coming would be, that his coming was near. Jesus says it would, it would be in the, as in the days of Noah. He said it would be as in the days of Lot before his return. If you look back at the days of Lot, we know that he lived in the city of Sodom and Gomorrah. And you remember Sodom and Gomorrah was, was a city known for its wickedness. Remember the homosexual activist of Lot's day came pounding on the door and wanting to have sexual relations with the angels that had come to visit him. And it was a city known for many evil things, but, but specifically sexual perversion. Are we not living in a time that's known for sexual promiscuity? Aren't we living in a time where there's this excessive interest in things that are, are sexual? 
I mean, just look at the, the last couple of weeks and the people in high profile that have, that have you know, come, the, the, the women that they've been, you know, uh, harassed, sexually harassed, have come forward, and, and, and these people said, these, these guys are doing that. That stuff was going on in Lot's time as well. So not only was Lot's time characterized by perversion, but violence and crime char- characterized Noah's time. So Jesus says that it's going to be in the time of Lot. Also, as it's going to be in the time of Noah, so will it be when the coming of the Son of Man shall be. What would you think about the times of Noah? I, I mean, there was, was violence filled the land. Genesis 6 said that the men became corrupt in God's sight and that the earth was filled continually with violence. Their thoughts were continually on evil. When we look at those things, we're going to be, Jesus' return has to be near. Let me say this. God could put a freeze on things. He could slow things way down, you know, and give us a little more time. Now, why would he do that? Second Peter 3, 9. The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, concerning the some count slackness, but long-suffering towards us, not willing that any should perish, but all should come to repentance. But again, back to verse 1, Paul says, Of the times and the seasons, brethren, you have no need that I should write to you. Now, Paul certainly wasn't a date setter in regard to prophecy. And I, as I said, Jesus for, forbade setting dates when he said of that day and hour no one knows, but we should know the times and the seasons. We should be able to determine that we're close. I think one of the biggest signs that are out there today that shows us that we're close to the rapture of the church and the Lord's second return is the nation of Israel. I believe that the nation of Israel is God's timepieces to when he will return. Now last week we looked at uh, at what the rapture is and why the rapture is, and I gave you a couple of reasons for the rapture of the church. But I left out one reason that I think is really important. And we looked at the purpose of the rapture is to, number one, to protect God's children. Number two, to shake up the heathen. But number three, and we should have looked at it last week, was is to wake up a nation. To wake up a nation, the Jewish nation. Jeremiah 30, verse 7, it speaks of the time after we've been raptured, called the time of Jacob's trouble. It says there, alas, for the day is great, so that none is like it. And it is a time of Jacob's trouble, but he shall be saved out of it. So Jacob, so really a time of Israel's trouble, so great that there's been nothing like it. A time, and really it is Israel's trouble, a time when Israel who has rejected Jesus and for the most part will go through this time of Jacob's trouble, the great tribulation period. Now at that time, they will get it. They will understand what is happening. How Well, we're told after the rapture of the church in Revelation 11.3, that there will be two witnesses that will appear. And we looked at this briefly last time. Most people believe it's Elijah and Moses. And they'll come and they'll preach in the streets of Jerusalem. Jesus is the Messiah. Then you have, we're told in Revelation 7, there's going to be 144,000 Jewish evangelists that will be raised up from Israel and preached throughout the nation, throughout the world. Imagine 144,000 Jewish Greg Glories or Billy Grahams going out there just preaching the word. And, and it is at that time that Israel will, will be fulfilling what Deuteronomy 4, verse 30 and 31 says. It says this, When you are in distress, and all these things come upon you in the latter days, when you turn to the Lord your God and obey His voice, for the Lord your God is a merciful God, He will not forsake you nor destroy you, nor forget the covenant of your fathers which He swore to them. You see, in the last days, God is saying to the nation of Israel, I will remember the covenant I made with you. I made with your fathers. I won't forget it. That Paul says in Romans 11.26, And so all Israel will be saved, as it is written, 
The deliverer will come out of Zion and he will turn away ungodliness from Jacob. See, God is not done with the nation of Israel. All of Israel is not saved. You look around and, and most of Israel today are they're secular Jews, not even religious Jews. But with that said, again, I do believe the nation of Israel is God's timepiece as to when Jesus will return. Listen to Romans 11.25. For I do not desire, brethren, that you should be ignorant of this mystery, lest you should be wise in your own opinion, that blindness in part has happened to Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. So I believe that when the rapture of the church takes place, It'll be when things are all set up for God to work again, once again, among the nation of Israel. The fullness of the Gentiles come in means that those non-Jews that will get saved before God once again deals with the nation of Israel. So if you're here tonight and you're not saved, you might just be that last person that God is waiting for you to get saved before the rapture of the church takes place. So let me tell you, would you hurry up already? Okay, we want to get out of here. We want to move out of this place. But once the rapture of the church takes place and we're out here, God will once again deal with the nation of Israel. And all I have to say is that we are seeing that today like never before. Now, recently we studied Isaiah, the whole book of Isaiah, but we closed in Isaiah 66. And verses 7 and 8, speaking of the nation of Israel, said this. Before she was in labor, she gave birth. Before her pain came, she delivered a male child. Who has heard such a thing? Who has seen such things? Shall the earth be made to give birth in one day, or shall a nation be born at once? For as soon as Zion was in labor, she gave birth to her children. I mean, there's two powerful prophecies right there. Verse 7, before she was in labor, she gave birth. Before her pain came, she delivered a male child. It's a great verse. In other words, before the great tribulation period, Jesus Christ was born in Bethlehem. Before the suffering and the labor pains that Israel would go through during the Great Tribulation, Jesus came to this earth to seek and to save those who were lost. Before her pain came, she delivered a male child. But then we move to the last days, verse 8. Who had heard such a thing, who has seen such things, shall the earth be made to give birth in one day, or shall a nation be born at once? No one in, in, in the history of the world has heard of such a thing until our generation. A nation literally born in one day, May 14th, 1948, by proclamation of the United Nations, Israel was born in a single day. Now keep in mind, there's always Jews in the land of Israel, but from 70 AD, when the Romans threw them out, until 1948, May 14th, they were out of the land, but now Israel has once again been into the land. And again, I believe that we can set our clocks to when the Lord will return by what happens with Israel. What's happening with Israel right now? Well, we know that. Before the Lord to come back, Israel, you know, the, the, the Jews have to be back in their land. That's done. We know that uh, there will be an attempt to wipe Israel off the face of the earth, according to Ezekiel 38 and 39. Let me say, that is, is, is being set up as we speak. Pastor Jack Hibbs pointed this out a month ago on a podcast he had. He showed a headline from the Jerusalem Post dated November 12th. We can show it up there. It says, Will there be a Russian-Turkish-Iranian alliance? That was November 12th. By the time the 15th rolled around, it had happened. Never before has there been an alliance such as this in these three countries. Never before in the history of mankind has there been an alliance of these three geographical locations. Now, for those of you that know me, I'm not trying to sound like a sensationalist. Hopefully you see what's happening in our world today and you can see it and you can make the links for yourself. 
For years we've talked about the battle of, of, of Gog and Magog found in Ezekiel 38 and 39. We've talked about those nations that would be involved in, the, in it, as Ezekiel says, coming down to take a spoil, wanting to come down and conquer Israel. But there's always been a problem with that fulfillment. See, Iran, Russia, and Turkey are all mentioned in this attack on Israel, but up until recently it didn't make sense because of these nations. They didn't have a beef with Israel. Did you know that Iran was Israel's biggest ally in the Middle East in the 1970s, early 1970s? They helped them out during the 1973 Yom Kippur War. Not anymore. Turkey, just a few years ago, is where all the Israelis took their vacations. Turkey was a secular country and a member of NATO. Not any longer. You see, the Bible says in Ezekiel 38 and 39, there will be these last days alliance led by what three countries? Turkey, Russia, and Iran, or Persia, but modern-day Iran. Let me say this again. Never before in the history of humanity have these three nations from these three geographical areas have been aligned together until today. When the Bible speaks in Ezekiel 38 of a large force from extreme north of Israel attacking, the Bible is very clear that this will happen in the last days, in the latter years. And we know that God is going to supernaturally intervene and come to the aid of Israel and wipe out five-sixths of this invading army. Ezekiel 39.2 says, And I will turn thee back and leave thee but a sixth part of thee, and I will cause thee to come up from the north parts, and I will bring thee upon the mountains of Israel. God's going to intervene, wipe them out. But here's what's interesting. Because of this new alliance between Russia and Iran and Turkey, it's given Russia this new power. Basically, Russia has now filled the vacuum left in Syria. Russia has vowed that according to international law, they will protect all things Syria. Syria is now a satellite state of Russia. And, and Russia hosts Iran inside Syria. And now Russia said, Israel, you are forbidden to launch any more strikes into Syria. Now, Israel has been doing this. They've been stopping the buildup of weapons in Syria. Now, Russia says, if you continue to do this, know that you're attacking us and we can't have that. Now, I love what Benjamin Netanyahu said. He said, too bad. <laughs> he said, we will act with a free hand in Syria. We're not going to stop. We'll defend ourselves whether you say yes or no. I say, way to go, Benjamin. See, again, I would say that we have never been closer to the actual events of Ezekiel 38 and 39 as we are right now. The players are in place. Let's add one more announcement in the mix. Many of you know that last Wednesday, President Trump declared the United States would be moving its embassy to the capital of Israel, Jerusalem, declaring basically that Israel, that Jerusalem is the capital of Israel. It was awesome. A president standing up for the nation of Israel like we've never had in the past. Now, it's being dubbed as historic, but I believe that is also prophetic, more prophetic than historic. Listen to Zechariah 12, verses 1 through 3. The burden of the word of the Lord against Israel. Thus says the Lord who stretches out the heavens, lays the foundations of the earth, and forms the spirit of a man within him. Behold, I will make Jerusalem a cup of drunkenness to all the surrounding peoples when they lay siege against Judah and Jerusalem. And it shall happen in that day that I will make Jerusalem a very heavy stone for all peoples. All who would heave it away will surely be cut in pieces, though all nations of the earth are gathered against it. I mean, this is a very detailed prophecy that talks about in the last days how this world, the world will have this intoxication obsession in dividing Jerusalem up, conquering Jerusalem. Don't we see that today? We also uh, know that this verse says that in the last days all nations will be gathered against her. And with the exception of the United States and maybe a few others, we have seen all nations are against uh, Israel. 
I mean, especially with the rebuttal against President Trump's announcement, the amount of nations we see that, that really do hate Israel. I mean, upon that announcement, violence has broken out, protests have broken out. Turkish President Erdogan held a meeting today to discuss the American recognition of Jerusalem as Israeli's capital. It was a special meeting held today of the Organization of Islamic Cooperation in Istanbul. Listen to what the, the Jerusalem Post says. It says, Erdogan, whose rhetoric over the Jerusalem issue throughout the last week has been vitriolic, is convening an extraordinary meeting of the OIC to discuss U.S. President Donald Trump's recent decision in the hopes of issuing a joint Muslim reaction to it. Uh, Erdogan has accused the United States of ignoring Palestinian claims to East Jerusalem and trampling on international law. He said that the U.S. He says that the U.S. is a partner and bloodshed with Israel. So what was the result of the meeting today? According to Reuters, this is today, a couple hours ago, I read this. Turkey's President Tayyip Erdogan said on Wednesday that the United States could no longer be a mediator in efforts to end Israeli-Palestinian conflict after its decision to recognize Jerusalem as the capital of Israel. From now on, it is out of the question for a biased United States to be a mediator between Israel and Palestine. That period is over. Erdogan told a news conference after a meeting of the Organization of Islamic Cooperation in Istanbul, we need to discuss who will be a mediator from now on. It's amazing. Listen, they don't want peace with Israel. They want Israel's destruction. And let me say this again. No other time in history have we seen the alliance made by these three countries, Iran, Russia, and Turkey. If this is not set up for Ezekiel 38 and 39, I don't know what is. But this also ties in the 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 3. Look at verse 3. It says, For when they say peace and safety, then sudden destruction comes upon them as labor pains upon a pregnant woman, and they shall not escape. Now, if you didn't get a chance to hear President Trump's announcement that Jerusalem is, is Israel's capital and their embassy is going to be moving there, during his announcement, what did he say over and over and over again? Peace, peace, peace and safety, or peace and security was his words. He said this. Let me give you a few of the quotes. He says, I've judged the course of the action to be in the best interest of the United States of America and the pursuit of peace between Israel and the Palestinians. He says, this is a long overdue step to the advance to advance the peace process and to work towards a lasting agreement. He said, Israel is a sovereign nation with the right, like every other sovereign nation, to determine its own capital. Acknowledging this as a fact is a necessary condition for achieving peace. He says, I also want to make one point very clear. This decision is not intended in any way to reflect a departure from our strong commitment to facilitating a lasting peace agreement. He said this, above all, our greatest hope is for peace, the universal yearning in every human soul, with today's action, I reaffirm my administration's long-standing commitment to a future of peace and security for the region. He went on one more. So today, let us rededicate ourselves to the path of mutual understanding and respect. Let us rethink old assumptions and open our hearts and minds to possible and possibilities. And finally, I ask the leaders of the region, political and religious, Israeli and Palestinian, Jewish and Christian and Muslim, to join us in the noble quest for lasting peace. For when they say peace, and safety. Here's my point. Paul says, concerning the times and the seasons, brethren, you have no need that I should say to you, for you yourselves know perfectly well. We know. We see what's going on. Now you may say, well, pastor, that doesn't answer the question of when the rapture will take place. Will it take place before the great tribulation period, midway through or after the great tribulation period? Well, that's a good question. 
Because there are those who say that the Lord is going to come back after the seven-year tribulation period. That's called a post-trib belief. Sounds like a cereal, post-trib, you know, cereal. But I have a couple problems with that. Now, if you're here this evening and you believe in a post-trib or mid-trib, don't worry about it. When the rapture happens, we'll tell you all about it on our way up. But I have three problems with this view. The first problem I have with this view is that if you believe the post-tribulation rapture, then you can't believe that Jesus could come back at any hour. There's an imminent return. That view denies the imminent return of the Lord. See, if you believe in the post-trib, then there's going to have to be that seven-year tribulation period before the Lord comes back. So at the end of those seven years, you know exactly when the Lord will return at the end of the seven years. The scripture teaches we don't know the day or the hour. The second problem I have with the post-trib rapture is that there'd be no one left to populate the millennium. If all the believers are raptured out at at the end of the tribulation and all the non-believers are going to be judged because no one unrighteous will be allowed in the kingdom, there's going to be no one left in mortal bodies. And there needs to be mortal bodies on the earth to populate the millennial kingdom. But number three, and this is the biggest one, the the post-tribulation rapture requires that the church be present during the 70th week of Daniel in Daniel chapter 9, verse 24 through 27, even though it was absent in the first 69 weeks. This is in spite of the fact that Daniel 94 indicates that, indicates that all 70 weeks are for the nation of Israel. 70 weeks are determined for the nation of Israel. The church must depart prior to that 70, 70th week before the final seven-year period. See, the whole prophecy of the 70th week is concerning the nation of Israel, not the church. So this all goes back to Israel. Daniel chapter 9 is an incredible prophecy. If you've never looked at it, I would encourage you to. I'd have you turn there, but because of time, I'll try to summarize it for you. God, in dealing with the nation of Israel because of her sin, he's allowed Jerusalem to be destroyed. Daniel and the Jewish people, they were taken captive in Babylon. Now, the prophecy that Daniel was given while in Babylon was that from the time that the command would go to restore and rebuild Jerusalem after their captivity until the Messiah, the prince, comes in, that would be 483 years or 69 seven-year periods. And in fact, the the command went out by Artaxerxes to Nehemiah 483 years later. To the day, Jesus came riding in on that donkey on Palm Sunday. That prophecy was fulfilled to the day. And because that, that prophecy was so clear, that's why you read in Luke 9.44 that when Jesus was going to Jerusalem, let me read it to you. He said, Now as he drew near, he saw the city and wept over it, saying, If you have known even you, especially in this your day, the things that make for your peace, but now they are hidden from your eyes, for days will come upon you when your enemies will build an embankment around you, surround you and close in you on every side, and level you and your children within you to the ground, and they will not leave in you one stone upon another, because you did not know the time of your visitation. Even so, to this day, we see the reason why there's no peace in Jerusalem, because they did not look to the Scriptures, and they did not see that Jesus announced, that Daniel predicted that Jesus would come in on that day. So that was given so clearly to them in Daniel 9, they should have seen the times and the seasons. Same way, we need to see the times and the seasons. Well, Daniel goes on, chapter 9, that after these 69 seven-year periods of 483 years, there's going to be one more seven-year period left on earth. Daniel 9, 26 says, The Messiah shall be cut off, but not for himself. That phrase, not for himself, literally is, and receive nothing for himself. Or the Messiah will, will be cut off without receiving his everlasting kingdom at that time. Of course, we know that Jesus was crucified that very week. He was cut off. 
He was not given his kingdom at that time. He was rejected as was predicted by Isaiah. He was despised, rejected by men. But that still leaves that one seven-year period left to be fulfilled according to Daniel 9, which means that, that God is not done with the nation of Israel yet. The seven-year great tribulation period between the, the time of the 69th seven-year period and the final 70th-year period, that time in between was known as the time of the Gentiles. And this goes back to Romans 11.25 again. We looked at it. For I do not desire, brethren, that you should be ignorant of this mystery, lest you should be wise in your own opinion, that blindness in part has happened to Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. And again, when the last person is saved, the church age is over and the great tribulation is about to begin. We're nearing the end of the church age. The Lord's return is near. So again, those who hold the post-tribulation rapture, it requires that the church be present during the 70th week of Daniel in Daniel 9, 24 to 27. And I just don't see it that way. I believe that the Bible teaches, the scriptures declare the pre-tribulation rapture of the church. So, what are we to do then as we wait for the Lord to come and take us out of here, get up on the roof and jump up and down and maybe move and get to a higher place and live so we'll just be a little closer when the rapture happens. Now look at verses 4 through 10 of Thessalonians chapter 5. He tells us this. But you, brethren, you're not in darkness, so that this day should overtake you as a thief. You are all sons of light and sons of the day. We are not of the night nor of darkness. Therefore, let us not sleep as others do, but let us watch and be sober. For those who sleep, sleep at night, and those who get drunk are drunk at night. But let us who are of the day be sober, putting on the breastplate of faith and love, and as a help, as a helmet, the hope of salvation. For God did not appoint us to wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, that whether we wake or sleep, we should live together with him. In other words, what he's saying is occupy till he comes. We need to be about our Father's business. What is our Father's business? That God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. God wants people to be saved. God doesn't want people to go into the Great Tribulation period. So we need to be doing our Father's business. We need to, as verse 8 says, let us who are the day be sober, putting on the breastplate of faith and love as, an, as a helmet, the hope of salvation. Be sober. Be aware of what's going on. Take things seriously, what's happening in our world around us. Putting on the breastplate of faith and love and as a helmet, the hope of salvation. God wants us to have that faith and that hope and that love. Listen, I'm convinced that Jesus wants every generation to believe that it will be the last because that maintains purity in our lives. Jesus said this in Matthew 24, 46. Blessed is that servant whom his master, when he comes, will find him so doing. Blessed is that servant. Listen, knowing that the Lord could return at any moment, we would not want to be caught off guard, living in our flesh, living in our, for ourselves and not for Christ. Paul puts it this way in Ephesians 5, 15 and 16. See then that you walk circumspectly, not as fools but as wise, redeeming the time because the days are evil. So when's the rapture of the church going to take place? According to God's word, it could be at any moment. It could be right now. We certainly could hope. It could be next week. It could be next year. We don't know for sure, but we do know the times and the seasons. We know that we're close. And we know this, verse 9, that God did not appoint us to wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. Listen, there is a time that God is going to pour His wrath upon this earth. Romans 1.18 tells us, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth and unrighteousness. That doesn't describe the child of God. 
Book of Romans 5, verse 9, we're given the description of the child of God. Much more than having now been justified by his blood, we shall be saved from wrath through him. We're saved from wrath through him, through, through Jesus Christ. So we see the signs are near. God is about to judge. You know, I always would love Pastor Chuck, what he used to say in this illustration. He would say, you know, when you come to the end of October, and you go into the grocery stores and the, and the, and the, the, the stores there and, and, and you see Christmas decorations up in the stores. You know one thing for sure. And you think he's going to say Christmas is there. And he says, no, Thanksgiving is almost here. Thanksgiving is almost here. Just around the corner. Listen, when we see the signs that are all set for the great tribulation, God's wrath, know this one thing for sure. The rapture of the church is near. Just around the corner. You know, Jesus gave a parable of the ten virgins in Matthew chapter 25 and how when the bridegroom came for the bride, uh, five of them had run out of oil and were not ready to meet the bridegroom. Now, in our culture, that sounds a little bit weird, but we need to understand in that time that Jesus gave this parable how a wedding worked. See, the day of a wedding was planned, uh, planned out, but the time that the bridegroom would show up to take his bride, that was a surprise. He could show up at any time, day or night, of the day of the wedding. But as soon as he arrived, word would pass quickly that the bridegroom has come, the bridegroom has come, and, and the marriage is about to begin. Well, then the, the community would march behind the couple as they made their way to the ceremony and to the house where they would spend their honeymoon in. Now, in that parable, there were ten maidens, but only five had oil in their lamps. So when the bridegroom came at midnight, the other five were left out of the processional because they were not prepared. What Jesus is saying in this parable is that when the bridegroom Jesus Christ comes for his bride, some will be ready and some will not because they do not have oil in their lamps. We know oil is, is, a, is a symbol of the Holy Spirit. So those who are not born of the Spirit will be left behind. So my question this evening is if the rapture occurred tonight, would there be anyone here that would be left behind? Now maybe you've been hanging out with the wedding party. Coming to church, so to speak, but there's no oil in your vessel. You see, folks, the sad thing is that there's going to be many people who think they're going up in the wedding party. There's going to be many people who think that when the rapture of the church, they're going to go, but they're going to be left behind. Why? Because of a lack of oil. See, I believe that this parable shows the heart of Jesus and is one that should wake up every person. Over in Luke's Gospel, chapter 21, verse 36, Jesus said, Pray that you might be found worthy to be kept from the hour of tribulation implying that there would be those mistakenly think, mistakenly think that they're a part of the processional, that they'll end up going through the, but they'll end up going through the terrible time of tribulation. And then I would rather see those in my family, in the church family, humbly before God saying, please Lord, fill me with the oil of your spirit, seal my salvation, than to give anyone a false sense of assurance of their salvation that they, that they would miss the wedding party, to have them lulled asleep by some false theology. Listen, if you don't know for sure that you're saved, if you don't know for sure that if Jesus would come back for his church, that you would go up in the rapture, let me encourage you very strongly. Don't wait another minute. You just may not have one. I want to close with this. William Barclay tells of a, a fictitious meeting Satan held with his demons, trying to figure out how to trick people into eternal damnation. It goes like this. One demon said, Satan, I've got a plan. Let's whisper in people, people's ears, there, there is no God. No, Satan said, creation clearly declares the reality of God. People are too smart to deny its existence. A few idiots might be sucked in, but not the masses. I've got it, a second demon said. We'll say there is no hell. 
No, said Satan. People understand there needs to be retribution and judgment. People won't buy that. A third demon said, let me suggest how we might trick them. Instead of saying there's no God, instead of saying there's no hell, we'll just say there is no hurry. No hurry. Satan said, that's it. And he commissioned his demons to go out throughout the world whispering, no hurry. I believe we're living in a culture and a time where, the, where people have lost a sense of urgency. And I believe that God is using Israel this present time to wake us up, to let us know that his return is near. And, and I'll say it one more time. If you're not ready, don't leave here without getting ready, without getting your life right with Christ. Listen, the bridegroom is coming. Pretty soon the, the, the cry will go out, the bridegroom is here. The Lord will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel, with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. And we that are alive and remain shall be caught up, raptured, snatched away together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And thus shall we always be with the Lord. Therefore, comfort one another with these words. Comfort one another. These words bring comfort to us. Comfort one another. Hey, we're going to be out of here pretty soon. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this night tonight, Lord. We thank you for your word as it lays out for us when these things will take place, the signs to look for, Lord. And we do, Lord, see that your return is near. Help us not to grow complacent. Help us not to grow lackadaisical, Lord, but to, but to sense the urgency, Lord, to, to get the word out, Lord, to share, Lord, that your return is near. Father, we look around in this world and we see that it can't go on much longer. Lord, we pray for the peace of Jerusalem. We pray for fan, friends and families that, that, that don't know you, Lord, that their eyes would be open, that you'd give us opportunities this season, Lord, to share with them that are lost. Lord, help us to be ready for your return as well. While our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed, is there anyone here this evening? that you recognize after looking through these things in God's Word, that if He were to come back today, you're not ready. That you might be left behind. Maybe that, that scares you. It should scare you. It would scare me. If you don't want to be left behind, if you want to make sure that when Jesus comes back for His church, that you're a part of the church, that you know Jesus Christ as your Lord and as your Savior, that you've repented of your sin and turned from it and turned to Jesus Christ. If you've not done that, this evening, I want to give you that opportunity to turn to Christ this evening. If you've not done that, just and you want to turn to Christ this evening, just raise your hand so I could pray for you. Anybody at all? You want to give your life to Jesus Christ this evening? Raise your hand so I could pray for you. Lord, thank you again for your word, the promise of your word, for your love towards us. We thank you for this night tonight. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's all